This is Fashion Roundtable in partnership with Black Neon Digital. I'm Tamara Jinjik. I'm the founder and CEO of Fashion Roundtable. And for this podcast, I'm speaking to the designer Ashish. Ashish, what's really interesting about your story is that it's a narrative on the arc of an immigrant coming to this country and making a successful business in the fashion industry here. I wondered if you could tell me a bit about how that happened, the challenges that you faced, and whether or not you think it would be as easy as it was for you, or difficult as it perhaps might have been, you can tell us, for an Ashish in today's hostile environment. Hi, Tamara. Hey. Um, that's a long question. I know. Do you want me to break it down for <laughs> um, you? No, it's fine. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it would be harder or easier, um, and I'm not sure I can answer that but it was pretty difficult even when I did it and I think um, I, I just persevered because I didn't feel like I had a, much of a choice really um, and um, I think um, I think I could have easily given up uh, because I think first of all I think the whole process of the actual visa which at that time was called an HSMP visa so you had a student visa when you first so came I had a, uh, yes I had a student visa when I first moved and was here. that quite easy to get that yeah that was I mean that was easy enough because you know as long as you had um you, you'd been accepted by university here it was a pretty straightforward process um there was still the chance that you might not be given a visa but um I don't remember that being difficult particularly however the problem was of course once I completed my studies which in my case was the MA at Central St. Martins uh, there was there was a just it was um, pretty much a nightmare because there would be people that were interested in hiring you but of course the minute they heard that you didn't have a visa to work um, that was pretty much a non-starter because nobody really wanted to make the effort to or spend the money to actually get you a visa um, so and at that point, were you aware of um, a financial limitation on what a visa for you would be, as in um, to get a um, a tier two visa now, you have to be earning officially over £30,000? I actually had no idea that that visa even existed. And so um, I decided to move to Canada because that was one of the two places that had a, an open open door policy as it were relatively you know it was a point system and it seemed a lot easier to move there and start working there so, so I mean that's a pretty radical move from coming from Delhi what made you decide not to go back to India? because I felt that um moving to Delhi would actually kind of really limit what I wanted to do and the fashion industry in India that time was still relatively new you yeah. know I still it's a new industry compared to say, the industry in America or the industry in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't particularly want to go back um, and and work there or live there. Um, and so I, I thought, well, the next best thing would be to move somewhere else in the West, perhaps, you know, see what happened. So I actually applied for Canadian citizenship, or I think it was, a, it was re- being a resident in Canada, mm-hmm. To start with, and that was actually a, a, a much easier process, much more straightforward. Uh, it was a point system. I had a very nice interview, and it, it you know it started to finish. It took a couple of months, and I moved to Canada. Okay. Um, 
And what was the the need was that you had a student visa here that had run out. Yes, it was it was proving very difficult or impossible for you to. It was pretty impossible. I mean, I had a letter from the Home Office um, at one point saying I had to leave the country within. I think they gave me thirty days or something. In okay. fact, I wasn't here for my graduation even. Wow. Um, so I, I basically left, and then I moved to Canada. Um, but I always wanted to work in England because I felt that the industry here was really interesting and exciting. And I thought, you know, London has always been a very exciting place. And having lived here as a student, all my friends were here. Yeah, and I and kind the of, connections for business. The connections were there. And I just felt very at home in this country. Mm. So I always wanted to move back here. Then while I was living in Canada, in fact, I, I got awarded New Gen, which was at that point a new scheme that I think Topshop that's had right. introduced. Yes. Um, and then I became, I, 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 I basically won New Gen and I had started selling in a couple of stores here. So I remember Yeda Yun, who was the buyer for Brown's Focus. Yes. Is that right? She was a real advocate for you, wasn't she? Exactly. She, you know, she was really supportive. Louise Wilson was really supportive. Um, and once I got New Gen, then I kind of wondered what I should do. So I went and got some legal advice. Mm-hmm. And then I found out that there was something called an HSMP visa, which my solicitor at that time felt that I should apply to because she felt that I had, you know, I'd got a, a, a good amount of press and I was selling and I was kind of, um, you know, building a really good profile in my field. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that was a visa they, they gave for people who were in the creative or sports fields. Yeah, that visa no longer exists, is ex- my I understanding. Know, I said, yes. So I applied for that visa, which, I mean, I had no idea how difficult that process was going to be and how expensive that process was going to be. So how much do you think that you've possibly spent on visas and on lawyers and on all these applications? I mean, I would I would reckon it would be close to... 10,000 pounds easily because it wasn't just the fact that it was the one visa it was then the fact that it had to be renewed every couple of years right and every time it was renewed it was a pretty intensive process okay and I had to get my solicitor to do it because of course I was running a business I was understaffed because I didn't have a lot of money I had you know a lot of other things I was traveling so production. arguably, I, I think we're jumping ahead a little bit on 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 uh, visas, but in a way, it's all linked. The costs and the bureaucracy and the stress of that, which is incumbent to a creative, of trying to go through the hoops mm. of the visa process, mm-hmm. took money away from you being able to grow your business. Well, it not only took money away; it also caused extreme amounts of stress and you know time because it wasn't just these visas because I had this specific HSMP visa right it meant that every time I had to go to Paris for fashion week for the showroom I then had to apply for another visa right because so your visa was purely for the UK but it didn't ever it didn't allow you access to Schengen no it didn't allow me access, access to Schengen so every time I had to travel and of course they wouldn't give you a visa for six months or a year it had to be for the specific dates you were traveling right and I remember one time you know, we were going to go for a trade show in Berlin and I had to apply for this visa. And, you know, literally I got this visa for four days. So, of course, every time you applied for this visa, first of all, you had to have letters of invitation from people. in, for example, if you were going to Paris, you needed 
two or three people to vouch for you and give you letters of invitation to come to Paris. And would the visa office be looking at the scale-up of your business in terms of how you were growing your business when they, when they would um, allow extensions? Or well, I think visas? what they wanted to see was the fact that you were still doing what you would said you were going to right. be doing. You were earning a certain level of money. Okay. You were paying a certain amount of tax. You were still getting the press. And that's incre- that, you know, for young business and as a young person I think it's hard to imagine how how much stress that actually puts on on someone you know and also sometimes you can't be for example as creative as you'd like to be because of course you're constantly worrying about the bottom line you're constantly worrying about making enough money you're constantly worrying about you know what's going to happen I can't miss a season Um, you have to spend a certain number of days within the UK to keep the visa running so for example you know for about six years or five years I was unable to take holidays outside England because all the time that I was spending outside was for production, which was cutting into the time I was spending, having to spend in England. So, of course, for five years, I had to have all my vacations in England, which I mean, wasn't a bad thing, but you just feel quite restricted, you know, and it's it's a lot of pressure. So I worked for um, Bora Aksu for several seasons. And actually, the first season I worked for him, he had just got married to Fela, who is I believe a British resident, um, and uh, he, <laughs> we were working in Istanbul because he couldn't get his visa back, and he was showing on schedule for London Fashion Week. And by weird coincidence, uh, the casting director that I brought in was the daughter of the British ambassador uh, to Istanbul, to Turkey, and she and her family stepped in to get him into the country. Um, and he met all the requirements. So I've I've seen this from both well, sides. Well, I had a similar situation yeah. because before my first on-schedule, I think it was the first on-schedule show I had with New Gen, I was in India finishing up the collection. And that's the season they were meant to give me. They, they'd approved my HSMP visa. Right. But about a week before I was meant to fly, they rang me, the, the High Commission rang me and said, you can't have your visa because you need a medical examination before you travel. And that is going to take about six months because there's a long waiting list. And so you can't leave the country now for the next few months, (laughs) which was insane. London Fashion Week can wait. And I just thought, (laughs) well, I'm sorry, but that, you know, it just put me in a complete panic. So I had to bring up my solicitor. She had to call up um, the local MP. The local MP had to get involved and send a letter. They had to, you know, it was all this other stuff that had to happen. And then eventually I was given a visa three days before when I was allowed to travel. But, you know, it's just stuff like that, which, uh, you know, it, it's... Massively it, impactful. It's not, it's not just, the, just the, the idea that, you know, getting a visa is, is difficult and expensive on behalf of employers. But actually, it's such a stressful process to go through if you are the employee or the potential employee, because you have to go through all this stuff. You've got to fill in forms. You've got to provide documentation. You've got to provide all of this stuff. Um, and then you have to keep doing it until you get to a point where you've spent sufficient number of years in, in this country. And then you're finally allowed to kind of be given permanent residence. So it, it's a difficult, it, you know, it... It took away a good six or seven years of my life that I, I feel I could have spent on much more creative, fruitful things, grown my business, concentrated on developing my my brand, you know, doing so many other things that I was unable to do just because this took up so much 
time and caused so much and stress. Certainly and certainly in money. comparison to moving to Canada, where you were eligible for a visa, but the system was, for you, you felt more fluid. It was a much better system. It was just much more straightforward and honest, and it didn't depend on how much money. It, it, it had very little to do with finance, actually. It had more to do with your qualifications and your ability of to you know contribute to society over there. So and, Australia also has a talent point system. Well, yeah, and system. and also it was it was a really supportive kind of um, system. Right. Once you actually got there, and it was, um, you know, it, it wasn't such a nightmare kind of renewing things. You know, it was pretty. They they kind of trusted you, and I think it's that lack of trust I feel sometimes over here. You know, where, for example, if I want to hire somebody here, the Home Office doesn't trust me to hire somebody it's almost like that person needs to be kind of vetted via them and I need to be vetted by them before I'm allowed to even get a license to bring somebody to work for me which I think if you've had a company for over 10 years and you've paid your taxes and you've done everything I feel that there should be a certain amount of trust Mm. where if you feel like you need somebody and that that right person doesn't necessarily belong you know it's not here you should be given a certain amount of freedom or the process should be made a little bit easier. So um, obviously with the growth of data opportunities for tech developments, uh, in in theory it should be easier for these systems to be in place. Except your experience over the last, what is that, 10, 15 years has been not that, which would argue that, which kind of answers the question about for an Ashish coming through today, through the education system, they, they might well get their student visa, but once they've had their talent, their training, they've made their connections for their business opportunities in the UK, we have basically outlined that it would be very difficult for them to either set up their own business or take up work opportunities, both of which would therefore generate income for the UK. Well... And I've actually seen it from both sides. So I think in a in a in a the, the most simple way, I would say, you're getting all these people from different parts of the country. They're the most talented, intelligent people. They're coming here. They want to study here. From in the UK or from well, out. from everywhere in the world. From all you over know, the you world. get our art art school system, the fashion education system. It's the best in the world. I mean, arguably. I went to the RCA graduate show and was blown away. It's it's you know we have Amazing. the best art schools, the best fashion yeah. schools. We get the with the most incredible people who come from all these different cultures, all these different countries. Mm. They come here, they live here. We train them, we give them this amazing education, all this experience, and then we insist that they go away. It just it's mind boggling, mm. I think. Mm. Why would you not want to retain that talent here? Because there's such it's such an incredible source of talent. And I've seen it on both sides. I've seen it when I finished my studies, I was pretty much unemployable here because nobody wanted the hassle of actually getting me a work permit. And now as a potential employer who has my own company, you know, I find it really difficult because I have interviewed people who I've thought looked at their work and thought, oh my God, I want you to come and work for me because my company could grow so much if you came and worked for me because I could do so many other things. And then you find out that they are from a country where they don't, you know, they don't have a work permit. They're not part of the EU. They're not part of the EU necessarily. And it's, it's, it is for a small business, it's a nightmare applying for someone to go and work for you. It is so expensive. 
and it takes ages and it's it's a nightmare so we actually also need to see um a less hostile environment towards the um, other options for visas for the uh, either people who are going to come in and, and start as as an as an assistant is what you're saying or as a technician so that not only could they grow their skill set but you can grow your business which actually creates more value for the exactly company, right? i think what we need is to support the people who also who already have businesses that aren't necessarily large businesses. Yeah. You know, I have a small scale business yeah. and I find it really hard to grow that business because I find it really hard to find people who so are So although we talented. have a talent in the students in our colleges, we're not allowing that talent to flourish our business opportunities. Exactly. Right? You know, and a lot of talent that is kind of, you know, belongs here doesn't necessarily want to work here you know a lot of people want to go to paris or new york or other countries and experience have that experience yeah and a lot of the people that come here who love being here and they want to have this experience aren't allowed to stay here so it's almost like fashion's a global conversation so you've got you uk uh talent that is then looking at learning and, and being a part of different cultures You've got stylists and photographers who are consistently mobile because they have well, to Well, fashion be. is global. Yeah. You know, if you look at the magazine industry, yeah. you know... It's a global if, conversation. It's a global conversation. It's a global business. You know, yeah. stylists, photographers, models, you know, this is it's a global thing. Right. This is not... You can't really treat this as a kind of... Yeah. So with the situation that the UK is obviously in where they're wanting to reduce numbers on immigration... We've had the Brexit vote. We're still unclear and we probably will be for a while now on where we're going with the soft, hard, hard or no or WTO levels or all of these conversations. They're really at odds with the reality of our industry because they're talking about a different kind of environment, a hostile environment. And what we're talking about here is about interconnection and attraction. Yeah. Um, and... How do we build attraction, which to us, we in the fashion industry who are visually literate, who understand the messages, how do we allow people who haven't been through our experiences understand the need for attraction to to maintain our global reputation? What can we do? Well, I think the first thing to understand, which I always think is so important, is to understand that creative visual people it you know it's subjective it's not science right and you can't treat every single graduate the same because every single graduate from an art school or a fashion school is different they have different levels of taste they suit different types of working environments different companies Mm -hmm. so for someone to say to me why do you need so-and-so person where there's 10 other people that have exactly the same qualification you're talking about a, a potential bureaucrat in a visa office well exactly right which, you know, that that whole situation yeah. is <laughs> just... It's slightly scary, isn't it? Yeah, it, it just, you know, yeah. and that's... I mean, I, I rang up um, my solicitors actually a few weeks ago because um, I used to, for example, have somebody from Colombia ages ago who wanted to come back and work. And I and I said, um, you know, what what can I do? How can I... Can I sponsor them? Can they come in on... And the whole process was so laborious and expensive and they said, you know, what they will ask you is, why can't you get somebody from here to do that job? Yes. And I said, but that's the problem. You know, if I like somebody's taste levels and I like somebody's eye for things and I like, 
somebody's ideas, I can't find that in another person. Yeah, it's unique. It, it's unique. And that is what makes art unique. That's what makes fashion that what that's what makes fashion that's unique. Value. That's the value. Yeah. That that is inherently the DNA of yeah. creative people. So we're tr- what we're saying is that unfortunately the bureaucrats or the uh, regimes of these offices and these But they don't even acknowledge this. Yeah. It's not even acknowledged. Right. You know? And I feel like that is something that really needs to be questioned. Yeah. That needs to be changed. And this goes back to my earlier point of trusting companies, trusting us. We pay taxes. We work hard. You know, You're we not want about to, to build. do a runner with the tax. We're not. Monica. You know, I, I, my only interest is to grow the industry, it's right. to grow my businesses, to do more things, right. do better things, be yeah. involved in more projects. And I can't do that if I'm being limited in who I can have working for me for start. Yeah. And secondly, I, you know, I just think I have a better understanding of who will work for me in my business than somebody sitting in an office somewhere who has never, who has no understanding of what I do. So what. if we were to propose, say, that a company would be either eligible to uh, apply for, I don't know, depending on scale, perhaps... Uh, and a certain number of visas for non-EU would that would that be helpful or if we were to I mean I have been putting this forward but I don't know whether it's being picked up yet and um, it's perhaps not in line with the current trends but a hiatus on on um, student exodus after absolutely I mean I think both of those are brilliant ideas and I also think that there should you know, the, there should be no extra conditions placed on that. For example, at the moment, they have certain conditions on, you know, you have to pay within a certain wage bracket to certain people. Yeah. And I just think that's that completely, it, it doesn't translate into reality. Yeah, It should be on the same scale as for everyone. It yeah. shouldn't be another scale. I mean, I've, I've also met with other creative um, advocacy offices, um, sorry, companies, um, and they've all they've all said the same things. I'm hearing a woman in my head as I'm speaking who's talked about the ten year scale up of a of a creative graduate on what they'll be earning. Yes. To what they earn when they're when they're basically fresh out of college and perhaps interning into into assisting. And it's a much larger jump than it would be for somebody who's working in Whitehall or in a visa office. Yeah. And and sure there can be conditions. You know, for example, there might be certain students who don't get offered work placements right. or something. And in that case, fine, don't give them that visa. But if you've got really good people yeah. who, you know, have the chance of working for somebody here in the industry, then I feel they should be given that opportunity. They should have that chance. Because I... they've worked, you know, people come in here, they spend all this money, they invest everything they own. They, you know, parents send their children to other countries they pay for this education I mean, it they does pay seem m- counterintuitive it, it it just seems to be it kind of defeats the purpose yeah. really if those people are then made to go back well it's not creating attraction either long term for the education system exactly or long term for the business because if you look at the kind of generation that i see you in there was Bora, but there was also roxander maria schwab marcus lupfer erdem uh, I mean, the list goes on. The only person I can think who's who's domicile UK born is is Christopher Kane in that era. And look how much you've all resonated with um, with the consumer 
and 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 you're part of making you know the the british uh fashion industry grow it's grown 11 percent in the last stats from 2017 it's 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 a global it's it's almost punched above its its it's weight because we consistently punch above our weight with our fashion industry because we have so much talent but wouldn't it be amazing if we could grow it more and i think it has the potential to grow more because we work really hard in fashion you know everybody in fashion works extremely hard but i think that it's a shame because i actually think that there is so much more potential for this country for the industry in this country to grow so much more and i actually think that there's too much red tape and bureaucracy around yeah. this um and so i've met with an initiative start <laughs> launched by um uh, sir oliver letwin who and it's the red tape initiative um i think he's oliver letwin i hope i have, i can see his face in front of me he, anyway he uh and that feeds into number 10 um and i met with him with some other um uh different organizations talking about ip talking about the creative industries even somebody from the national trust who was going on about what legislations we could change from eu red tape that's what that's about um the problem for our industry is a lot of the eu laws support the business such as uh, the sustainable um, supply chain laws the modern slavery act uh, there is there are amendments going through from people uh, from sorry from uh, baroness lola young who i met with a couple of weeks ago all of those if they're done properly would would support our industry long term what i'm reading from the changes is that i th- and where i think we'll end up going as a country is less red tape one one level fine a free trade zone at what cost so i think we have to just be careful on what we message and advocate on this because i think that what we want is safeguarding and and long-term sustainability of the industry so i think it's a really interesting time and i think that's why these conversations are relevant because by heroing the immigration narrative it takes it away from the conversations that have been happening i think for the last couple of years that have been slightly out of kilter with how the industry perceives immigration. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Um, What do you mean when you say heroing the... Because I think that it's not been in the mainstream narrative. I think what we've seen is a conversation about immigration in a really worrying tone. Um, And actually, you're an immigrant success story. Well, and I've, there are I, many of us. Well, I know, I, and I and I've always said this, and I've always said that actually, immigration is it's it's a convenient target for vilification. Mm. Anytime anything needs to be blamed, it's the immigrants who get blamed for it. You know, then this is like a long-standing narrative that yeah. goes on not just here but in various parts of the world. Yeah. And this is why you know I always think immigrants are really maligned and it's it's completely misunderstood what what we do and what we bring and you know nobody wants to leave their homes leave their families leave their friends move to other countries unless you know that they feel like they can contribute and have a better life and make a better life and you know nobody wants to move to another country and sponge no. like who wants to do that no they're not moving here for the universal credit 
in any numbers. Um, That's also a most fallacy. you know most people that that move to other countries they want to succeed they want to do well they want to work hard they Which, want to build something I, so, for themselves. So arguably, do you feel that the that that then drives up the the domicile talent? Do you think that that because obviously you've got people in your staff who are UK born and bred, so you're providing opportunities for them. Well, yes, yes. exactly, yeah. and this is. You know, this is how economy grows. You, yeah. you know, you bring people in, they set up businesses, they hire more people, yeah. the business grows. But I, I think that um, it, it really needs to be, this conversation really needs to needs to be had, you yeah. know, about this whole concept about, you know, immigrants, what immigrants bring to countries. It's kind of a, a ridiculous conversation, I think. Mm. And, you know, I always say that, and I know this is like, oh, so controversial, but I don't think it is. You know, what are countries? It's just invisible lines that people have decided to draw. We all live on the same planet. We're, we're all human beings. I, I just think that there should be freedom of movement and freedom of goods and moving goods. And, you know, people should be allowed to have more freedom as to where they feel they can contribute more to society. And that might be a controversial thing to say, but... That's just what I think. I, I just... think there needs to be a space for other stories because at the moment I feel very concerned that we're hearing lo- a, a, a slightly one-sided story from a lot of different spaces. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I can see reasons for limitations on freedom of movement in certain areas, but I do think that there is a need for a different kind of narrative. And, I, and I'm really glad that you've shared what you, you think about that because I, I, I might not necessarily agree with entire freedom of movement. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying... But I think that it's important that people yes. are saying it, Ashish. I don't, I I don't, that I don't get scared think too, that so either. But I, and I'm not, I'm not saying there should be this kind of complete, like, just go wherever you want. But I'm just Let's saying that... Let's all move that, to Honolulu. Let's all go. Exactly. I'm not <laughs> saying that. But I'm just saying that that there should be possibilities yeah. to do. There should be hope and there should be possibilities yeah. to do things you want to do and move to places you want to move. And, you know, I just think that the whole system should be set up to allow people to maybe explore their dreams a little bit more yeah. that's all i'm saying because by know? having dreams and aspirations we can create business opportunities uh, and work absolutely and yeah. you know what would we be if we couldn't dream yeah you know what's the point yeah so which is actually i just before we end the last point i wanted to bring in was inclusion i think i've seen that across so many of your shows it's a real arc of nar- narrative in you in the ashish kind of dna the love and devotion show we were talking about earlier before we came on to the podcast was really beautiful for me, a really moving show. Um, inclusion is almost like the counterpoint to the immigration story. And we've seen that through counterculture, such as the, um, the marches recently and the, the kind of growth of protest movements, Me Too, A2. A um, and I just wondered why it had been so important for you to get this campaigning voice almost into your work because i guess it's uh it's a platform mm. and i think that for any creative person i think if you have a platform i think you have to use that platform 100% agree and, with that and i don't you know i'm not saying everybody has to do it but mm-hmm. i think 
you know, in a time like this, which I think is an extremely dark time, you know, and not just for Brexit, not just Trump, just if you look at what's happening in so many different parts of the world, mm. I think this is a very, very dark time. You know, mm. this is like, you know, survival of the human race type of situation, I mm. think, with the environment and everything that's going on. I think that this this is the time people really need to kind of step up and kind of use their platform because that's what we can do as creative, you know, as writers, you can write, as artists, you can do visual things and you can kind of start conversations, you can educate people, you can spread messages. And I think that is so important just now. I think this is not the time to be quiet. I've done it before because I've always felt that um, just from the point of inclusivity, I think it used to be quite lacking. Mm. And, you know, I experienced quite a lot of situations, you know, early on years ago where, you know, I kind of felt like, you know, was that casual racism? Was that kind of, I just felt like there just wasn't more people from different backgrounds. And I felt that needed to be kind of addressed a little bit. And, and it's kind of just, I suppose it's just grown because, um, you've created a movement. Well, I don't know if I created a movement, but <laughs> but I but I think that I think it's really nice to have a message, and I think that um, why why not? Yeah. I think it just makes everything much more interesting, and I think that I mean your casting's always discussing it without discussing it. We've got a, we've got the catwalkers. At, what's that? I think it's thirty six point nine percent across all of the catwalks were we're hitting the, what the fashion spots diversity report says but you're you're way more than that and um, if you put diversity into the global context of course the majority of the world's not um, Aryan mm. so you know you create a global conversation on inclusion without any words which well, I think years, is brilliant well I mean years ago I did a show where I had no white girls in the show okay um and I remember a journalist coming up to me after the show and and she said oh, you know, what? why did you have all black models in the show? And I said, have you ever asked a designer why they had all white girls in Thank that show? Um, and I said, you know, that should answer your question. Mm. But I think, um, you know, when you go out on the street or you go out on, you know, you're on the underground, you don't see all white people with you on the train. You see all the different colors of the rainbow. You hear so many different languages. You mm. see people from so many different backgrounds and it's so much more it's just so interesting but also from from a business perspective it means that your clothes are global your audience your uh your consumer is, I just think is seen in your clothes well i just think there's beauty in so many different mm. people there's beauty in so many different cultures and I, I think in a way it's it's such a shame to kind of blinker yourself from all those different things and you know I, I just I, I don't know I just appreciate I just find beauty in lots and lots of different types of people um, and I think that should be reflected in what I do because that's a part of me and I've I come from quite a diverse background um, and so it, it's never been something strange to me to mm. do that so I, I, I suppose for me it's the norm in a way you know, mm -hmm. um, 
And that's what I've always felt like should be reflected in work. And I, and I, you know, it's grown a lot more because I've become a lot more kind of confident using that voice. It takes, it takes a few years to kind of find a voice and have the courage to use it and not be too shy to say certain things. And I, I guess the older I get, the, the, the less I have to, you know, I, I feel like I'm just going to say things, you know, because I don't want to hold back. What's the point? Mm. Um, Thank, so, thank you so yeah. much, Ashish. Thank you for having me. So to follow us on Instagram, you can go to Ashish, <laughs> <laughs> Black Neon Digital and Fashion Roundtable. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Bye.